Welcome to Akuhawai Stories. I'm Grant Walters. Your host for this fourth episode of our podcast is Jerry Kowalski, Executive Director Emeritus of University Housing at the University of Georgia. Jerry retired from the profession in 2018 after almost 12 years of service to his beloved UGA and three decades of dedicated work in the profession at large. Jerry has contributed in immeasurable ways to the association over the years, and he was recognized in 2020 as the recipient of a Kuhawai's prestigious James C. Grimm Leadership and Service Award. Jerry's network of colleagues, friends, and mentees anticipate his frequent porch reports on social media, sharing his thoughts and observations on life from his Georgia home. While the pandemic prevented him from hosting friends in person, he reached out with an idea of gathering some of his fellow campus housing retirees for a virtual conversation to reflect on the state of the profession over the past year and a half and offer perspective based on the years of service. Joining Jerry is Joni Schmidt, Director of Residence Life, Central Michigan University, Emeritus, Vicki Hawkins, Director of University Housing, Georgia Southern University, and Senior Associate Director of University Housing, Appalachian State University, retired. Michael Schultz, Emeritus Director of University of Housing, Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville, and Chuck Rhodes, Emeritus Assistant Vice President of Student Affairs and Enrollment Management, Sonoma State University, and current doctoral student in Afrocentric Community Building and Organizing at the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta, Georgia. The combined years of experience, friendship, mentorship, and hard work between our five guests in this episode are staggering, and the memories, kindnesses, and richness of their contributions are heartwarming. We're glad to give our members a seat on the porch to listen. Here are their stories. Hello from the porch of Kuhoi. I'm here virtually with four outstanding and retired housing professionals. All are experienced, accomplished, and skilled. And ladies and gentlemen, even better people. Uh, among us is represented almost 200. That's two zero zero hundred years of professional experience, as well as diverse worldviews. We're going to start out with some introductions, and I will turn it over to Joni Schmidt. Well, thank you, Jerry. Um, I am Joni Schmidt. I am retired from Central Michigan University, where I served for 38 years, and um, I began my career at CMU as well. I was an RA there, and then uh, my degree was in Parks and Recreation, and at the time, I wanted to work for a city parks department, and the budgets were really um, non-existent, so I looked back at my um, experience, and since I'd been an RA, I decided housing might be a good fit. So I spent a short time at Miami of Ohio in their grad program, and then I was an RHD at Ferris State, and then returned to CMU for two years, which quickly turned into 38. So as I said, I, I retired in uh, the director position and received emeritus status. So um, loved my time at CMU and loved my, um, my time in housing. Delighted to have you with us, Jody. Thank you. Let's go to Reverend Charles. Hello, folks. Um, Chuck Rhodes, Reverend Chuck, from uh, I retired uh, almost 10 years ago from Sonoma State University as Assistant VP for Student Affairs and Enrollment Management. 
Uh, I started before Jerry at Virginia Tech as an RA uh, and stayed on there for graduate school and worked in the VP's office. From there, went to uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I stayed for six years, uh, four of which was uh, the equivalent of a restless life coordinator, moved to the central staff uh, in charge of student programs and staff selection uh, for 7,000 students uh, in housing and was responsible for designing their, what they call community, their department-wide uh, social program, social and educational programming. Um, wasn't sure I wanted to stay in housing. I had been in housing all my life, so I left in 78, moved to San Francisco, a year of working for the Mayor's Office of Employment and Training under then Mayor Diane Feinstein, huh? and uh, realized that uh, did really well at the Mayor's Office, had a promising future, but realized I missed uh, the university environment and um, in college campuses and the things that we were doing. So I went to Sonoma State University with the intention like Joni, only being there for two years. I swear I was in the rural part of California. I wasn't gonna be there but for two years and ended up being there for 31 um, with gradual increased responsibility, uh, particularly in their um, leadership development, rest life, all kinds of things as AVP. And after I retired, uh, actually went back to school, got my MDiv at the Interdenominational Theological Center, and I'm currently a doctoral student there. Okay. Thank you, Chuck. Happy you're with us. Ms. Vicki. Hello, everyone. My name is Vicki Hawkins, and I retired about five years ago, almost five years ago. And I have retired from two different universities. Uh, the first one was Georgia Southern University. I went to Georgia Southern after completing two degrees at Appalachian State University. I went as a residence hall director and ended up retiring as the executive director of housing. Was there, uh, like I said, for 31 years, director of housing for 17 years. And then my dream job became available and I applied and my dream job was to come back to Appalachian and I was fortunate enough to be hired as the senior associate director of university housing and I retired after six years. Wonderful. Thank you, Vicki. Happy with us too. Mike. Jerry, love being on your porch. Yeah, um, it's a great, great uh, setup here. Um, <laughs> I went to uh, Mercer University in Macon, Georgia, uh, did my undergrad there and uh, tried out to be an RA my sophomore year and didn't get hired. Uh, so I tried again um, and got hired my junior year as an RA. And then um, as an undergrad, I was a hall director um, in the system there. And uh, what a great experience had no idea what I wanted to do when I uh, graduated uh, at Mercer. Uh, interviewed for jobs like door-to-door uh, -door meet salesperson um, and um, just was completely lost. So uh, a mentor of mine suggested that I go to the Saxa, Saxa placement. Uh, 
uh, service. And that was always late in the, the season. Um, are they still doing SAXA? Yes. Placement? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I went there and got an interview at Georgia Southern. Um, and a person named Vicki Hawkins hired me there. Um, and she made that, that, that experience one that I decided that's the career I wanted to do. Um, so if anyone has ever worked with me, uh, you can blame Vicki Hawkins for that. Uh, after, after a year and I had to close down a building, reopen a building, um, I uh, went back and I got my master's degree at Florida State and um, went to work after that at St. Louis University, uh, was an assistant director uh, there for two years and then an associate director for three years doing uh, business operations. Uh, At the age of 28, I became the director of housing at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville and had the great opportunity to build four residence halls there, um, which is a director of housing dream. Um, And I know other people on this uh, podcast have had that opportunity. Um, Did that for 30 years and retired in um, uh, 2019, Uh, took a week off and uh, went to work. Uh, for project management advisors, um, trying to help them start up their education division. And COVID hit uh, uh, eight months, 10 months later. So that kind of ended. And so I'm sitting retired, not knowing what to do. And I'm seeing all my friends uh, really suffering with COVID. Uh, And so I put my name out a couple of places and went back to work at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville and have been the COVID response coordinator there uh, for the year. Um, and it's been rewarding. And hopefully hopefully, I've brought some balance uh, to some other people's lives by taking some of the, the uh, work that they were being thrown at. So that's my story. Jerry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, I, I used to like to tell, tell students that a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was an RA. <laughs> yeah, um, and that really kind of moved me. I, I ended up, um, I, I, I think I may have said that I, I leaned in, but it wasn't with my head to student affairs um, and uh, found a job uh, as a graduate hall director in my undergraduate institution, thought I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. And um I just did, but not in the way that I imagined. Uh, early jobs in Texas and at in, in Pennsylvania again, uh, and then I arrived at uh, Virginia Tech um, just a little bit after Chuck, um, and served as their first and only director of, of residence education for seventeen years, and then had a wonderful opportunity to succeed Jim Day at the University of Georgia. Worked there for about 12 years and retired from there. Um, served on uh, graduate faculty uh, in the higher ed prep programs, student affairs program, both at Virginia Tech and, um, and the University of Georgia, which is yet another sort of very rewarding opportunity. So, um, and we were talking earlier off, off the podcast uh, recording about uh, the many ways in which we're connected to each other. And um, I'm just absolutely delighted that my professional pals um, have 
decided to join me for a conversation. Um, our desire today is to uh, help. Um, it's been a very interesting 13 or 14 months. Um, lots of things turned upside down um, and lots of things that people never experienced would happen for so long. Um, and maybe people have experienced um, infectious diseases and maybe they've experienced racial intolerance and injustice. And maybe they've uh, experienced a very divisive politics. But I'm not sure we've ever had a chance to do that all at once. Um, and so it's been a, a very interesting year. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I tuned into uh, the CEO conference that was virtual. Uh, uh, props to that in, that organization did a super job with an all virtual experience, but I had an opportunity to, to listen in. And this is what some housing professionals said as a description of how they feel. Disrupted, uncertain, vulnerable. I'm not sure I'm going to say this right, but phew, uh, painful, overwhelmed, um, and Mr. Toad's wild ride. If any of you are Disney folks, Jody, you'd probably get me if I got that right. I hope I did. Anyway, our, our desire today is to talk a little bit about observations, um, maybe some a little bit of our lived experiences in somewhat analogous circumstances, uh, a little bit about what we think are uh, helpful kinds of competencies and, and capacities, and then maybe also some final words of wisdom or tips. Um, with the knowledge that we know there's really no right answer here. Uh, what we wanna do uh, with Grace uh, is to provide some perspective uh, of, like I said, almost 200 years of experience. Um, and we're just gonna have a fun conversation um, and I'm gonna let my colleagues uh, you know, sort of lead the way. I'll just ask the questions and we'll move along in conversation. Um, so the first question is, um, what are your observations about the challenges of the life and times of the Akuhoi membership during the tumult of the last year? Um, some people have said we've had two pandemics. Some people we've said we've had a, in a, in a, in a, in a, an unparalleled election um, and um, an aftermath um, and a whole lot of other things occurring. Um, but let's just open the door uh, on this conversation with what have you observed and and what do you think would be um, useful for the membership to hear from your from your wise seats? I guess one thing I would want to share is sympathy that, um, you know, like as you mentioned, Jerry, each of us have dealt with lots of different things over the years. But to throw it all together at the same time is just unfathomable to me. And the thing that impresses me the most is the stick-to-itiveness, I guess I would say, of the staffs and our, our colleagues that are still working, um, that they, they continue to you know, put their heart and soul into a job, sometimes without even having students on campus, and looking at the budget issues and everything around them and still you know, trying to stay positive and looking for outlets to allow them to do that. Um, you know, I give them all kinds of, of credit and, you know, we, we've kind of jokingly said, thank goodness we're retired. But, you know, on the other hand, 
you know, part of me almost wishes I was out there because um, I guess I just feel like because of the experience that we've had that perhaps we could assist in some way. But I think, you know, maybe our best bet is to, to mentor from afar, you know, to offer people a shoulder or a, a tissue or whatever they might need um, just to, to share what's going on in their own lives. And Joni, you, you've, you've done that. You and Tom Ellett have, have done that with a, the password game of many colleagues uh, that get together uh, almost a year now um, on Wednesday evenings. And it's been a great outlet. Uh, it brings smiles to people's faces. And, um, if, if people would like to get involved with that, uh, I'm sure they could contact either you or, or Tom Ellett and we get them an invite. Uh, but it's, it's been good to get reacquainted with some people. Um, it, you put it in, a, in an interesting way and being a, a recent retiree, uh, I felt guilt, um, guilt for um, not having those responsibilities uh, and not really being able to offer much advice because I've never been through it. Right. Um, and uh, I would talk to to friends and colleagues, and uh, it was more a listening ear because you're dumbfounded by what everyone has has gone through um, and what right now is the new normal um, and and progressing through that. Um, so it for for some retirees out there, I think they would love to help. Um, and so I encourage people to, to reach out to people that have maybe stepped away from the, from the profession on a full-time basis, but would be happy to hear and be a, a third party, um, that would not have, um, any feedback or, or, or pushback on your campus that you might have. Uh, and I know that we would all be happy to, to do that. Um, and some of us have been doing that, um, but maybe it won't help everybody that's in the profession right now, but it would sure help our guilt. Um, so, so use us. I want to bounce off of uh, something that, that Joni said. Um, because in talking with some of my colleagues and friends who are still working, they describe this as the best of times and the worst of times. It's the best of times because of what Joni said. They are sticking to whatever is thrown their way, whether it be uh, social injustice, the COVID, whatever. But then at the same time, they feel good because they are sticking to it and doing what they have been trained to do. They said that it is um, extremely difficult, but they are proud of themselves if they can remember uh, all the good times. And I think it is important for everyone to remember that they're doing the very best that they can do. And when I talk with colleagues 
just hearing them just explain what their day-to-day life is like, you know, I'll just say, are you doing the best that you can do? And they're going, yes. And I said, that's all you can do. So don't worry about the other things. Do the best that you can do. I've had, uh, this is Chuck. I've um, had, uh, I'm blessed to have uh, had quite a few people who have come through our program uh, at Sonoma who are now in leadership positions all over the country. And not just in housing and rest life, but in other areas. And um, have quite a few contacts with people who I've never met, who have found me for some reason, I don't know. Um, Like, all of you, you know, I don't feel guilt. Um, I'm glad I'm not in the day to day because I can kind of sit on my perch and 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 listen to them and be supportive and sometimes um, be a place for them to curse and to cry uh, and to be angry and to be frustrated and to be creative. And I think uh, like Vicki said, what I'm noticing for some people they have hit places of creativity that they never would have imagined. Uh, how do you supervise a large uh, campus leadership and programming and student engagement program when there are very few people on campus? And how do you organize Greek life? You know, so engaging in those conversations with people, uh, the creativity that's come out of some of the places. Uh, have been astonishing. I I can't imagine myself being that creative, but I can be with them in conversation. And also I think um, just trying to balance it all uh, with short staff and frustrated. Uh, Some of the people have um, had to take on additional responsibilities because of budgeting. They're moving into areas that they um, did not have experience, but they've had to, to jump in because the campus is have not rehired for a variety of reasons. Uh, even trying to do RA selection <laughs> in a time like this is like, I never had to quite do that. Um, so I think one is, is support and sympathy, but the other one is I'm hearing a lot of frustration from some folks who want to leave because, not because of dealing with the crisis, just dealing with the campus politics and so forth and feeling like uh, their expertise is not being respected for a lot of reasons. A lot of it's external to the campus and a lot of it's internal to the campus. And uh, I was talking to uh, someone who the university uh, and the politicians demanded they reopen last fall uh, at full capacity and not really doing much planning in that. They said, you know, in two weeks, we're going to reopen or something that close to that. Uh, and then had to really deal with the issues that came up when you have um, 18 and 19 year olds. So being how we know 18 and 19 year olds are going to be. And yet the external forces expected that the residence hall staff manage them in ways to correspond with um, the crisis. So what I'm hearing from folks is both very positive and yet a lot of frustration right now. And so I think what Joni said, just being a good listener at times and sometimes processing with them, just saying, you know, you can talk to this, you know, you can curse your college president to me because I'm not gonna tell them, (laughs) you know, uh, and they're trying to keep a good face 
with their staff and with their students during a time when they themselves are experiencing fears of their own around protecting their family and all other kinds of things. Uh, so uh, this is Joe. Oh, sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. Uh, this is Joni again. And I just wanted to say, you know, we haven't mentioned parents either and yeah. parents of school age children. And just the, again, I keep thinking unfathomable, you know, the word used to be unprecedented, but um, either way, uh, just the idea that folks are working from home and have children um, taking classes at home or expecting the parents to step in as the teacher, you know, and although some of those uh, states are changing, not all are at this point. So, I mean, there's just, it, it's the inside pressure of your work and then the outside pressure of your family and, right. and then the lack of seeing other parts of your family. So right. uh, anyway, I mean to interrupt you there, Chuck. No, you didn't. Um, you know, I, I think um, uh, there, there's some there's some terminology that I think um, is is current now in a lot of things, particularly uh, when it comes to leadership. And um, you know the the terms um, volatility, mm-hmm. uncertainty, um, complexity, and ambiguity that with the term VUCA have been thrown around. And um, I think I think that, that, that to me is something I wanted to throw out and maybe have you respond to, because I think you all touched on each of those kinds of things that create the, the challenges that people have. Um, you know, it's it's ongoing. Um, it is it is incredibly complex beyond credence uh, in some ways, the level of detail um and 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 then uh individuals roles are changing chuck you mentioned that um so uh, i don't know if that that sort of lights another couple of ideas in folks head but um that was a a, a thought i had that maybe, maybe we might be able to somehow put into this conversation of other things that you observed but so far, this has been, I think, so supportive and helpful to our membership so far. Yeah, you know, it, what I've heard this year is that there's been plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, and on and on. Um, and nobody knew uh, where things were going and, and uh, what to plan for. If I pulled out my my crystal ball and I kind of see where things might be going for for next year, it looks like we've kind of swung back and we're trying to get back to a little bit more normal. But I think the challenge is going to be is now you have staff, you have faculty. and you have administrators that have seen um, two sides, uh, kind of the virtual world and the on-ground world. Um, I think it's going to. It might be a bigger challenge of how do we create that new normal um, and get buy-in 
from the people that you lead um, to to buy into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's going to be the the trick. Um, and as Chuck said, campus politics plays into that. Um, but people have gotten into habits. And so now, uh, in some ways, if we want to get to the full college experience that our students want, um, how do we break some of those habits and, and get back into a routine um, is going to be a, a delicate process. And it might take several years to get there. It seems like you're saying that the entire paradigm is changing in housing. I think about uh, delivery of services from educational programs to uh, what is the budget going to look like? You know, so many institutions have uh, had to pay for other departments or the president needs money. So as an auxiliary, typically some housing funds have had to go that way. Uh, we need to be concerned about staff, um, the turnover with staff members. Are they going to come back? Are they uh, so um, concerned and tired from what they've been dealing with this year? Can they remember why they went into the field and why they do what they do? I just think that there's a lot that's going to take a lot of time in order to come back to what is even somewhat near normal. And it may, from what we consider normal when we were working, and maybe it, it won't. So things have changed. And I think uh, senior housing officers are gonna have to lead the way and take that leadership with their staff members and help them to change and adjust, adapt, uh, and just deal with everything that they are are dealing with. I think Vicky, uh, you 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 hit something for me because I, for me, um, as a, a social justice activist, we have to define what normal is going to be. And I think for a lot of schools, um, want to pick up where we left off. Uh, in um, 2020, and uh, I don't think that I think that's gonna that may lead to failure if we can think we just we'll go back to March 2020 and and pick up uh, and do the things like we used to do. I think the 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 racial tension has caused uh, us to begin to rethink what normal is on that surface. And that's something that we have not adequately dealt with for ever. Uh, the disparities uh, in general. So I think there's going to be a lot of time where we have to sit down and maybe force ourselves to do planning. You know, I, I, Mike says he's in charge of the COVID response on the campus. I think very few campuses have gone that way. But the next step I think will be is to do sit down and do some real planning across departments institutional um, planning, uh, the college that I'm at, the seminary that I'm attending, um, they've spent much of the past year in revisioning the campus. I mean, I'm amazed at this little small school of about 400 students. The president has, has been leading the faculty in a whole um, re-examination of his purpose. 
and, and does not see itself going back to where we were in 2020. Uh, we All of our classes currently are online and some faculty want to stay that way. Of course, we've got millions of dollars worth of buildings. You don't want to just like turn over to somebody. Um, and we do have residence halls there. But I think the process of revisioning uh, for the what's next, because I think even outside of our campuses, the what's next will be a debatable uh, issue for our, our communities and our nation. And so the colleges and universities, including residence halls and housing, uh, need to be a part of that conversation. Because if we want to go backwards, uh, for me, uh, I think normal was not productive for a lot of folks. And we're seeing that in healthcare disparity, and we see it in our student enrollment. Um, we see it in a lot of ways. Uh, one of my colleagues, one of my people I'm a mentor for, she lost her job. I mean, they've told her she can't come back next year. You know, they love her. They don't have money. I mean, she's a senior level. She's a, a vice president. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, she's having to, while she's dealing with her staff, do her own personal issues. You know, she's going to have to move someplace and she's going to have to find a job, et cetera. So I think this whole process of just a deeper examination uh, and maybe that's what we're trying to do. I think we're going to, have to go to a, a very extended period of deeper examination for the next uh, I don't think, I think a couple of years, because as I think Mike says that you can do a, a, a vision process and come up with a plan A, and that may change to plan B, C, D, A, B. If we, if we did algebra, you remember when we used to do the combined numbers, you know, uh, I don't think we know what the future will be, but I think we have to be open to the whole um, planning and assessment, which is oftentimes missing in programs. So you're going to have to continuously do planning and assessment for Probably the next three or four years. Chuck, that was old math. We're into new math now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> so, so I think, I think these comments are, are, are very good. I think you know, we talked a lot about what change means and, and how we prepare ourselves for change. What are, what are re-examinations and revisiting uh, visions, values, mission, et cetera. Um, and, and I guess I'd like to, to see if I, I might ask you to kind of think deeply a little bit about maybe some other times in your experience, your lived experience as professionals, where circumstances on your campus or circumstances in the world have maybe caused us to do that kind of reexamination. Um, and, and maybe there are some things that might be helpful uh, to our membership as we think about what they can do, what are there, are there some things we can talk about from our past experiences that might be useful in this new re-examination to find the next normal? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, just, I'll just say as an example, um, I wasn't at Virginia Tech when the shootings happened. I was at Georgia, but it affected me significantly, but not the way it affected the people who were on that campus. But to me, that was the college 9-11. Um, and many things changed as a result of that. Um, so that, that to me is just one example of maybe something that was very significant um, in lots of ways. It just wasn't as ongoing as was what we've been dealing with for the past 12 months. But are there other things that you can think about that might help um, 
you know, educate or or uh, enlighten um, uh, our our audience about this new visioning and managing change and and being prepared for the next steps. Well, one of the things that, that I hope it will happen is, uh, you know, you had mentioned 9-11 and, and for folks in the United States, you know, that was a, a real change event. Um, Absolutely. But, but the pandemic being a, a global experience, I think may assist us in hopefully looking at how global issues are and, you know, our international students and um, travel abroad and um, all types of things like that, that it's not just a, a U.S. experience, but <clears throat> excuse me, but as a global experience, I'm hopeful that that we can learn, um, I guess going back to social justice, to try to get along, um, even though, <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me, this appears to me anyway to be the most divisive time in our country. Um, I'm hopeful that looking forward that that will change and that um, you know, people will realize that that we need to work together. And, you know, it, I guess when I think of international students in particular, that um, with the numbers of the demographics going lower in the U.S., um, that, you know, campuses will be truly fighting for international students. And, you know, everything will have to change, I think, I guess is the, my long answer is that everything will have to change. And it, it goes back to, I think, expectations. You know, I think of, you know, I, I feel so badly for the first year students in college this year, because last year, what a terrible time to be a senior in high school, you know, not to experience anything that any of all of us did, you know, all of the activities and the friendships and just everything else that went along with it. And then what do you do? You go to college your first year and it's more of the same. That, you know, it's it's the same and it's different at the same time, I guess. So I don't have any real answers, I'm sorry to say, but, you know, there's just so much to think about. And um, I guess I, I go back to the, the thought of, you know, we're here for for folks to listen to and assist in any way we can. But, um, you know, and, and I, I think, too, about you know, five-year plans and 10-year plans. And, you know, I, once I gave a speech and when I got up, I ripped the, the notes in half, you know, it kind of as a joke that I would know what I was going to talk about. And I was completely lost. And, and I kind of think that way with five and 10-year plans now too, because everything's changed. And, you know, you go back to the ABCD, you know, where, where do we go? So perhaps disjointed to you, but in my mind, this makes perfect sense. I love it. <laughs> You know, Jenny, I think you come up on a good point there is whenever we come up with a plan, there is a process mm -hmm. that we go through, um, no matter what that, that structure is or whatever. So I, I think if I would add some advice here is spend time on developing the process and take what you've used in the past to help you guide that process. But the most important part of it is trust the process. Um, if you trust the process, you'll get there. You might not know where you're going, but if you trust that process, you're going to get to, to that end. And um, 
I, I think if that would be one thing that, that I could add to this discussion is really spend the time up front to, to develop the process based on your skills, based on the skills of, of others um, that have been successful in, the, in that, and then put that process to test, but trust that process as you, as you move forward. Gary, I, I want to go back to your question of, of, of lived experience. Yeah. It goes way back. Uh, and I thought about this. Um, in 1968, uh, I joined the first class of regularly admitted Black students at Virginia Tech. Uh, it was a time uh, when... Uh, it was a landmark year for tech because of the year that it broke 10,000 in enrollment and it broke 100 black students, I'm sorry, 100 Negro students. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was also a time that they were bringing women in, in larger numbers. So the culture of that school was changing. Um, and talk about social justice. I would say, and I, I was thinking about that this morning, uh, for a while I lived in the wing with, there were 22 guys. 20 white and two black. None of us had gone to integrated schools before we got to college. Uh, all of the white students had gone to all white schools and I had come and Ted had come from an all black school. Uh, and also in that, that process, except for one northerner, all of the white students had black women who were domestic help in their, in, in their uh, households. They've been raised mostly by African-American women. Uh, and so there was a lot of tension on campus. And then when I moved into leadership programs, I not, cannot tell you the number of times I was called the N-word. Um, but the universe, Dr. Hahn, who was president then, had made a commitment that integration was going to work. And Virginia Tech was one of the first Southern schools that actually racially integrated without a court order and police presence. I mean, most people don't know that. Um, but they were they were there uh, and he had to have faculty meetings and he directed faculty and staff to uh, to do some things. And at the same time, we were doing racial integration and gender integration. We were dealing with Vietnam War. And so, you know, while we say this divisive now, and I think a part of that is because of the social media, it was a very divisive time. We had alumni who re, who withdrew financial support to the university because they had colleges coming, and they had women coming. I mean, there was just just wasn't just about race; it was about gender. They were comfortable with the status quo, and um, politicians were having fits, and the governor was having fits. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and we lived through it. I think a part of that process was we didn't go far enough. Mm. But we went as far as we could at that time. And so I'm not judging what happened then. You know, I spent um, my four years at Tech because I stayed for graduate school uh, with um, the Heidi Tidy still playing Dixie at the football and the sports events and the Confederate flag still waving. And um, we did, you know, I was there at a time when uh, there were no uh, black faculty members. And so I think what I'm trying to get at is that we did the best that we could for then. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying, well, we should have done this. <clears throat> but we 
did the best that we could. And I think a part of the lesson would be is like Mike says, we trust the process and knowing that we're going to do the best we can with what we know for right now. And there will be days where I look back and say, well, we should have done something different. You know, um, it was just this year that Virginia Tech uh, took the names off of two residence halls uh, mm-hmm. and named them for African-Americans because of the link that the, the, the honorees had with um, inequality, slavery, et cetera. A lot of schools are doing that right now. Um, in some cases, it's just surface washing. Other schools are going much deeper into examining the social justice issues. And But the bottom line is, I, I think back to that 50 plus years ago when I went into tech, <laughs> like a dummy, uh, because if I knew now what I was going to experience, I probably would have gone, but that was the right thing for me to do in my life, in my career. But uh, there was leadership and the people were doing the best they could. Uh, so I don't, uh, and I think that's one of the things I would have to say to folks, as you sit down and trust your process, you won't be perfect. Uh, we don't know. Uh, some scientists are saying that there may be another virus brewing right now. You know, we don't know. Um, but I, I, I think back about that, that Vietnam, the Vietnam experience, uh, the war experience was very divisive. Uh, Virginia Tech arrested students, buildings were occupied. Uh, it was a military school uh, and, it, and students were allowed to have guns in their rooms in those days. <laughs> uh, and I have been out there and watched people bringing shotguns to demonstrations, rifles, I should say, to demonstrations. And it was legit at that time. Um, so I think, you know, 50 some years later, we still haven't resolved the issue. And I would suspect if I were alive 50 years from now, we would still be sorting out what we're gonna, what 2021 means for us. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that story, Chuck. Your personal um, reflections uh, are, are certainly extremely helpful um, um, because it, there, there seems to be some fairly significant parallels. Uh, to our current day and times. Um, so. Jerry, can I add one thing? Oh, go ahead, Vicki. Um, as a housing professional, you know, every one of us will handle a myriad of crises throughout our career, whether it be a fire, a hurricane, a suicide, whatever. And I truly believe that we must uh, ensure that we do have the strategic planning that goes along with it. And we do have to trust the process, but sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you're just not sure what to do. So I hope everyone will go back and lean on all of the skills of being a strong and effective leader. We all know that decision-making is probably one of the the top qualities of, of any professional. So if you can gather all the information listen to different types of individuals, different types of thought processes, then make the best decision that you can make for whatever is happening, then it's like Michael said, you do have to trust the process and it should go as well as possible. And then at the end, sit down, think about it, make sure you involve all of your staff members because sometimes your opinion is not 
always the right one. I know that's hard to believe, but getting other people's uh, advice and their input can certainly help make you stronger for the next situation, whatever that might be. Vicki, you're not talking about me 35 years ago. I am definitely talking about you 35 years ago. I heard heard her call you Michael, so I was... (laughs) That's when I had a sit in her office. Yeah, I want to jump in. Uh, 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 Vicki, what you just said reminded me of an observation that I've had about housing people for a very long time, and I'm guilty as charged. And I think at times this is an extremely powerful and helpful set of of mindsets. And sometimes it's also very challenging, but I've always considered housing folks to be overachievers. Absolutely. Right. I've always considered housing folks to be fixers. And I've always considered housing folks to be engaged in the elusive pursuit of perfection. Guilty as charged. Okay. But I think sometimes that that mentality turns on itself to create some incredible stresses for us. And that's why I think some of the comments that you've made about trusting the process and trusting past experiences kind of helps mitigate maybe some of the 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 um, stress that comes from being an overachiever, from being a fixer, from being, you know, trying to make it perfect because it's not, you just said it's not right. Um, So I I just wanted to throw that out there because I think that mindset helps us maybe to um, engage in a way that, um, that, that allows us to, to be forgiving of ourselves. Um, just a thought, but I, I really do want to want to throw that out there and see if there are any other thoughts um, about this, you know, lived experiences. Mike, go ahead. Yeah. One other things in, in what Vicki was talking about decision making and yeah. what Chuck was talking about social justice and and making those tough decisions. I think we've, we're all saying it, but we haven't really spoke the words in all of that. You need to be true to your values. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, you know, that, for me, when you said values, um, some of you will remember this from many years ago when Tom Shampoo did a program on um, for us at Akuhoi on behavior styles. Yep. And I still use that. And I use that in my work because I was uh, very conscious about having diverse behaviors in our department. And sometimes... <laughs> Cindy and I would say, you know, we need to find an analyzer to join the staff this year or something of that nature. Because I think too many of our staffs are people that we're comfortable having lunch with, but they don't bring a diversity of thought to the to the process. And so when we, every year, twice a year actually, we, re, we um, kept our values, but we looked at, we did strategic planning and our values were the core of what we did. But we also had, the process could be, cantankerous, mm-hmm. even in the best of times. And that was a part of our culture was we wanted it to be cantankerous because we were a strong, we became a stronger group because we had folks of different backgrounds and behavior styles and uh, ethnicities and orientations and so forth. So we really worked very hard as a person of color. I have been oftentimes in situations where they wanted me to be the representative diversity, but did not want a diversity in thought and behavior. And that has always failed. 
And we feel good for, you know, I don't sing Kumbaya anymore. I don't want to do the Kumbaya moment to hell with that. Uh, because I think for me in this, in, in our staff meetings, we always left in agreement, but we always, we worked on a win-win model rather than a win-lose model. This is all back to the Tom Shampoo stuff from, from years ago. And that sometimes getting to that win-win was a real dogfight. Um, but in the end, people bought in. Uh, we felt uh, membership in the group. And, you know, I still have people call me now years later saying, Chuck, what about this? Because it was the process, there was a diverse process, not only in, in representative diversity. And I think too many of us sometimes get into the representative diversity. I've had some phone calls from some African-Americans who are representative diversities on college campuses that are not going to return after this year because they can't stand that they got a black person, a Latino person there, but they're not, the university is not willing to listen to a different viewpoint. And so uh, I think for me, I, I, I'm in agreement with Vicky in terms of the values. Mm -hmm. We clearly identified our values all the way down to our RA and our student leaderships. They were printed, they were posted, and we talked about them repeatedly. And everything that we did came back to those values. But we also understood that process was not a kumbaya kind of moment. Yeah. And I think a, a resource that we haven't mentioned are uh, the Akuhoi competencies. Because when, right. Jerry, when you had mentioned that when we um, briefly discussed um, the podcast earlier, um, I went back and took a look at them. And I would suggest that, that folks that are currently working do that, um, not when they're in the midst of a crisis, but when they have a few moments to sit down and really look at them, because they weren't developed yesterday, but they work for tomorrow. You know, I think I, I was very surprised when I looked at them that because they are so inclusive of so many things that are going on in the world right now, um, that I think they would be a great resource for folks as well. Super. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a it's a great reference. And um, Grant, at the end of this uh, podcast, is also going to share a number of, of pieces of information about other resources from Akuhawai as well. Uh, so I'll just ask you to look for that or to listen to that toward the end of the of the, the podcast. Um, so um, let's talk a little bit more. You, you said competencies, Joni, um, and I want to be mindful of time. Um, but we do have a couple. Are there are there other kinds of competencies or capacities um, that you think are pertinent um, as you as you look about as you look at what's happening and as you think about your past experiences or the things that you want to pull out as, um, uh, you know, shining stars that, that might uh, be helpful for folks to think about. Um, Joni's just mentioned the competencies in general, and I think it's a great resource, a beautiful um, a tome for, for everybody. So. You know, I don't know if it's a competency, but maybe a, a, a skill that that needs to be developed or um, and as we move forward or even through this this crisis that we we've been in, um, there's a lot of looking at what others are doing um, and trying to compare the amount of 
of work that people have had to do that that are on campus that are essential uh, employees. Um, and something that I picked up from from my grandfather is is a hard work ethic. Um, and I think if you if you and we've said it several times that you're doing your best, you're trying your best, you're putting all your work into it. Um, what I've always found and people that have ever worked with me know that that I've had this tagline somewhere, somehow it all catches up with you. And it's either going to be on the positive or it's going to be on the negative side. Um, and I think some people will call it carpe diem, um, but it, it really does. And so I would think um, as difficult as it's going to be, especially as we go through the, the process um, for opening in the, in the fall, whatever that might look like, looking at your own operation and not looking at what others are doing around you, uh, other leaders that might have different values, mm-hmm. um, is, is a really important thing. And know that um, you're doing the right thing. You're working your hardest. You're doing your best. And you don't know when you, it'll be recognized, if, if it'll ever be recognized. But it will catch up eventually. I would throw in also um, having balance. And I think right now um, we're talking about work uh, and crisis management. And Joni mentioned this earlier and and perhaps others. I think having balance and, you know, working in student housing can be an ever ending story Hmm. and particularly during crisis and that uh, there were periods in my life where I did not pay as close attention to family and to other things. Uh, and my life got out of balance and I had a big old heart attack about 20 some years ago. And so I think having the balance of, of uh, paying attention to those that are important, uh, whether it's through spirituality, through health, through other things, but um, particularly in this triple crisis of quad crisis that we're in right now is easy to get out of balance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with parents calling and faculty calling and students and staff and et cetera, it seems like there's, there's never a moment when somebody else doesn't need you. But as the airlines say, put on your air, put on your mask first (laughs) before helping others. And that doesn't mean being selfish, but having that balance in, in one's life that, some days just take off and go play golf or go swim or have lunch with your, your kids. And I know with, with me, uh, when I'm working with it, even now with all the things going on, but I have a, a baby great grand, a great grand nephew that brings such joy to spend five minutes with him in, in, in armored and covered up life, you know? And I think too often we don't really talk about the importance of, of having balance because as we go back to whatever, the, the what next is there will be so many demands professionally on us that if we don't take off and do some things to keep balance in our lives, uh, I don't think as well. I don't plan as well when I don't get enough sleep or, or having a healthy meal, you know, and I, I know people who 
as I used to do, I used to live at KFC. I said I was engaged to Colonel Sanders um, <laughs> before the heart attack. <laughs> Not longer, no longer. Uh, but I think it's important for people to have that balance in their lives uh, and to nurture their families and to be nurtured by their families and their friends. Yeah. And balance means turning off that technology. Yeah. What I'm thinking about is um, very obvious, but I think it's uh, extremely important, and that is effective communication. Mm -hmm. And I think effective communication with yourself is something that sometimes we overlook. And by that, I mean, it is important to document as much as you can what has occurred, one, just for a historical perspective and Secondly, if you need to go back and uh, share information, you've got it written down as opposed to uh, relying on your memory. Uh, it's obviously important to communicate with your staff all the way down uh, to every single um, staff member, whatever the category is. And then don't forget to communicate up. And there are going to be lots of times when you may not agree with what your supervisor is asking you to do, but all of us have a supervisor or had a supervisor and we need to remember to keep them informed and to support them. I guess I would add too that one of the things that, that I always um, talk to my staff about that I felt our job um, was a job of exceptions. And my guess is during this time that um, the pandemic has really um, emphasized that, that there are so, you know, you just can't go by a, a simple rule anymore, would be my, my thinking. Um, and also to remember what's really important, you know, that it's, it's hard to do that, you know, and it's easy for me to say that as I look back, um, but, but to truly remember what's, what's important and that you can't do it all but be satisfied with what That's you're right. doing because you're doing an awful lot. You know, you're still having a wonderful, positive influence on students. It's just different. Good point. Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the things that I heard uh, from some others that I chatted with um, in preparation for today um, was, uh, and Vicki, it really hits your point about talking to yourself, uh, communicating with yourself, um, because at the heart of that is the power of reflection. Um, you know, is really stopping and and really kind of being real um, and being vulnerable. Um, and um, and, you know, I, I, I guess for me, I find that probably the, the most important and powerful tool we have now is emotional intelligence. Um, and and it, because it 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 starts with knowing yourself and then it starts with knowing others um, and. Um, yeah, so, so to me, as hard as it is to stop when all of these things, Chuck, you just mentioned, there's always going to be somebody asking you to do something. Um, when all these things are, are pressing upon you, I think it's still important to take a moment to reflect, um, uh, intentionally, um, because it, it helps with balance for yourself. Um, but I think it also puts, it may help also to put some things in perspective, um, and sometimes that's self-meditative and sometimes it's talking to someone who cares about you and knows you better than maybe yourself uh, to give you, uh, you know, um, a little talk back, if you will, about where you are. Um, other thoughts on competencies or capacities? Well, 
I think it's very important to remember to laugh. (laughs) 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 That, you know, Chuck, as you were talking, you mentioned the never ending story. It reminded me my mother um, took my boys when they were young to see that movie, The Never Ending Story. And she brought them home and she said, never again. That story went on and on. <laughs> and I said, well, that was kind of the point, you know, it was never ending. But, you know, I, I do think at the end of the day, if you can't look back at something that happened and laugh, whether you talk about the specific person or not, just to, to get that out and to share it with others. I, I mean, that's that's the only thing that's gotten me through, you know, 13 months in the same house with the same man and the same dog, you know, so. <laughs> some, I, uh, some people said laughing is like internal jogging. Right. Oh, I do a lot of that then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you, I, from a theological viewpoint, I would say that all the great um, prophets and all would go to the hills to reflect. Mm-hmm. They would get away. And so, you know, I'm not just limited to Christianity. They would go to the hills. They had to get away from their daily work. And they would just, you know, um, we read that in not just in the, in the Christian faith, but other faiths paths that they, whether it's Buddha or whomever, Dr. King did the same thing. Many of the great leaders would take that time out. The, the, the demands were on their back and they would still say, time out, <laughs> you know, I got to go feel the well again, you know? And so, and uh, I would say that uh, the laughter was a part of all the great prophets' lives. We may not talk about them, but you know, <laughs> and they laughed uh, and drank wine. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good wine. Yeah, good wine, right, right. Hallelujah. And, uh, and had fun. Um, but uh, I think that's the, you know, for us, the same as balance is just, as you're saying, Jerry, it's just, you just got to take some time to out. Yeah. Chuck, we know why you chose Sonoma State. It was all that <laughs> wine in your backyard. <laughs> I lived, uh, my, my last 20 some years, I lived uh, about five or six minutes from some of the best wineries in the world. But after a while, I stopped going because I got into life, you know? <laughs> Well, well, folks, um, I want to I want to sort of give us an opportunity for some concluding thoughts. Um, and one of the things I shared with you all was um, if you had any words of wisdom or lessons learned or just caring words of support that you might want to share with our membership um, uh, to sort of put a put a punctuation on our, our lively and insightful conversation this afternoon. I'll go ahead and start. Um, now that I'm in those retirement years, I've failed retirement uh, twice now. Um, but for for the young professionals or even the, the mid-levels uh, or anybody that's still in the profession, I think there's three things um, as you as you look to retirement uh, and you should be looking at retirement uh, very early on is is really three three points one make sure that you have a good financial advisor uh and um be able to plan so that you can have a a great retirement and not have to worry about it uh two um it's not all about the resources but know what those expenses are and one of those expenses and who knows what the future will be 
but know where your health care is coming from and really be able to plan. I think that what I'm hearing from, from friends of mine, both in the profession and out of the profession, is what's keeping them or preventing them from doing everything that they want to do is knowing that they have enough resources for the healthcare that, that they weren't, that they did not plan for. Mm -hmm. And I guess the most important thing, and this is probably where I failed the most in, in retirement is um, spend some time thinking about how you want to spend your time Mm -hmm. in retirement. Um, Chuck has a very clear plan uh, and it's admirable, Um, but you can only travel so much. And in a pandemic, you can't travel at all. Um, You can only play so much golf um, and you can only sit on a beach for so, so long. But what are those hobbies? What do you want to do? It's a steep cliff when you go, 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 go in higher education. And then all of a sudden, you look at your phone and there's no messages anymore. Um, so how are you going to spend your time? Think, really think about that uh, is, um, I think, is something that, that is forgotten. Uh, and uh, I would hope that, that people are starting to think about that now. Start developing your, your list. Start developing your hobbies that, that uh, you can carry on and spend and do better in retirement. I do agree with that, Mike, although I've also found that the time has flown. And, you know, our former athletic director used to say, you know, I get up in the morning with nothing to do and by noon I'm half done. And that's kind of the way I feel too some days, you know, and I I like a a particular program on at four o'clock and I, I, every day at four, I think, how can it be four o'clock already? You know, time just has, has flown. And I mean, I keep a paper calendar so I can cross the days off. So when I, I know when it's a weekend, not that it makes the difference, but, you know, I just like to know what other folks are up to. Um, but I guess, you know, Jerry, back to you, to the parting thoughts, um, just a couple things that, that I would recommend that folks be nice to people, um, particularly in this time period, um, because you never really know what their burden is um, when they come to you. Um, And also, I I would suggest that you have very few regrets. Um, You know, I look back and I'm upset that I traded a car in too early. But other than that, I think my life was in pretty good shape. So um, and then the the last one to be would be true to your school, wherever you are, you know, whether you're going to be there two years or 38 years, um, be true to your school. And then in that process, be true to yourself. My parting thoughts, similar to to Joni's, I um, thought about just give yourself grace and give others grace, because if you don't, it's it's what we've already talked about. Karma can come back to haunt you sometimes. And these are difficult times, but a well-developed housing professional has all of the skills, all of the abilities to handle whatever comes to them in some form or fashion. So give grace. You know, uh, Mike, before I retired, I was having some minimum health issues and I went to a counselor. And one of the things that um, the counselor suggested was not to focus on what I was going to retire from, 
but what I was going to retire to. And then how would I know when I was ready to retire? And um, when that time came, the university was going through some transitions and I was offered a new position with a lot more money. And, but I knew the time had come for me to retire. I mean, I could have stayed on for more years, but I was emotionally ready to say, you know, I've given you all 31 years, I've done a lot and I'm done. And so I think that what you're saying is, know what you're gonna retire to. Um, and I t it took me several years after the, those counseling sessions, but when the opportunity came up, I knew um, I knew that day, <laughs> the day had come that I was ready, even though they kept saying, well, you know, we reorganized and we got some, you know, you can get some good money. And I think, well, I got enough money. If not, I can always go on welfare because I've contributed a lot. Um, the other thing that I've been focusing on with my counselor, because I still see a counselor by phone, and two things have come up for me, and I call it, both of them, uh, they've evolved into what I call PPP. Uh, and one of them is I'm looking at, uh, I'm, I'm getting myself prepared for my post-pandemic potential. And that when this passes, uh, I've been doing some things to, to be prepared for the, what we say, uh, my what's next. And um, the other one, the new PPP is my post-pandemic purpose. And really feel like I have a, I still have a purpose in life to do things. And I think that can be true for us organizationally. It's, you know, as we look at our housing program, what is your post-pandemic purpose? Our purpose will not be the same in 2022 as it was in 2019. Even though we may be housing and residence life and food service, I think we've gone through enough things that we will continue to do some things a little bit differently. And I don't think necessarily we've looked at, we haven't taken time, maybe haven't had the time to look at what is our purpose of our, our programs and what is our potential? I think there's great potential. Some of us are sitting on hundred million dollar plants around there that may not fill up right away, you know, and we still got mortgages to pay. And so I think, um, and staff, and, and this is not the first fiscal crisis that we've gone through. Yeah. And this is not the first health crisis. I won't reopen the conversation, but uh, I was in a heavily hit area during the AIDS pandemic. And we didn't know when that was gonna end. Yep. And we were having to make some choices and do all kinds of things that were external and internal and everything else. So this is not our first one. Um, it, feels, it feels overwhelming right now, but I can tell you that whether it was in the racial social justice one or the HIV AIDS crisis, it was overwhelming then. Um, I, I'm gonna. I don't. I don't want to make a concluding comment, but I do want to share one thing for folks. I think if you look at this Hollywood Square scenario that we're dealing with right now, it's clear that what has sustained us is relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I look at. I look at all the people in this picture, and I am so deeply joyful and grateful for you in my life. Um, and it sustained me. And Chuck, my PPP is pen pal project. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I write notes to people um, and and I and I, you know, I, it, it really doesn't matter if I get notes back, but I do. Right. Um, and there's just nothing quite as wonderful 
as an old fashioned handwritten note, even with my hieroglyphics that I send out. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I just, I just think that for me, um, relationships are, are what sustain us because it's something as challenging as the times we've been in. Um, none of us do it alone. Right. You know, we do it together. And, and I, I had to, you know, I had to rely on my good colleagues here to open up this wonderful conversation. Uh, you know, I just, all I had to do was ask the questions, but, but you all provided the answers, you know, and, and we collectively accomplished something. Um, that to me is a big takeaway. Um, and, and I'm truly grateful to Akuhawai for giving us this opportunity um, to share, but also to just bring this group of people together. Um, you know, we, all of us are retired and yet we're still doing this. Right. What does that say? Well, um, I, thought we now, were, I thought we were getting paid though. <laughs> we're not <laughs> the check is in the mail Joni yeah. uh, put that in the chat I'll respond okay All right, thank you. <laughs> um, but but you know I just I just think it's really amazing that I you know I, we've been able to recruit wonderful people to respond to people who are still working and that says so much about all of you about what you want to share in, in such a caring and positive way with your colleagues. I'm just so um, grateful and appreciative uh, for all of you to do that and, and grateful to Kuwai for giving us this um, porch opportunity uh, to share and, and, uh, and, and, and help a little bit. I'm grateful that you invited me. I'm glad you're still around, Chuck. <laughs> Even though you left the Hokies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you know, at, at this point in my life, I feel like I'm allowed to have multiple allegiances. So <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that the other thing is the allegiance we have with with this association, which is yeah. really quite, quite remarkable and 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 quite um, nimble and active and helpful. Um, and um, in so many ways, um, and, and, it, and it's it's because of folks like y'all. Um, so I'm just truly, again, truly joyful and truly grateful. Um, sure. Anybody else want to share anything else as we say a good night? I, I think one, one other thing that I, that I meant to, to say, say is that it's important that you use your support. Mm -hmm. um, if it's in the Kuhawai arena, um, um, uh, at a conference, a virtual conference, um, or if it's smaller groups within your state, uh, I became a whole, a better leader, a better advocate by being reaffirmed from my colleagues mm -hmm. and bringing that information back. I know that, that, uh, Vicky and Joni's an honorary member of the, what do we call them? What, the WOHOs. WOHOs, which is a, a great support group, but um, it not only, I, those groups provide support, um, but they also bring you information that makes you an expert on your own campus and brings that respect to, to, to yourself. Um, so 
it's really important to invest in yourself by getting involved in those in those groups. And there's formal ways and there's informal ways. Um, Before I retired, I set up a Facebook group for past and current student staff and professional staff and student leaders. And um, it's still going. And so for me, the recognition, um, not directly, but I, I have so many of my former student leaders who are teachers. And so every now and then I'll send out a little note out and thank them because I know that they're going through something. And for my, my, my former uh, students who are in the medical profession, I'd send out a little group thing and says, you know, I really appreciate y'all being out there. And so I feel like I'm still connected and the feedback they give me is much more than I give them. I mean, it's been a, just a real joy that I have student, I'm gonna start getting on most, I have student staff who have found me for my very first year at Sonoma in 1980 and have given me, um, encouragement. And so I think learning how to, well, using some of the techniques to, to stay in, ch in touch with our former students and our RAs and, and whatever has just been a real blessing for me. You know, I, I uh, had to hang the phone. I was actually engaged with one of my former uh, student staff members who's been going through some, some medical issues right now, who contacts me every day. I'm, st I'm still his uncle in, in some ways. Um, <laughs> And because he's lost both of his parents. So I'm, you know, I'm involved. So I, I think that whole sense of community is, is you talked about it, Mike, in terms of community of professionals, but um, not that I lean on them, but I, I really do appreciate the former students and former staff members that, that remind me that those 40 years, almost like well, the 31 at Sonoma uh, did have an impact. It, it had meaning for them. And it's still paying dividends for you, that hard work. Yeah. Well, my friends, um, this has been um, it so far exceeded my expectations. Um, and um, I, I appreciate each one of you. I appreciate the dialogue and the conversation and um, just appreciate you. And that concludes this episode of the Akuhawai Stories podcast. I'd like to thank our host, Jerry Kowalski, and our guests, Joni Schmidt, Vicki Hawkins, Michael Schultz, and Chuck Rhodes for joining us. Our podcast is hosted via Podbean, and past and future episodes can be found at acuhoi.podbean.com or on our website, www.acuho-i.org slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via your favorite streaming service so you don't miss an episode. Our main site also has a wide range of helpful resources, events, and initiatives for campus housing professionals at all levels. You can additionally follow Akuhawai on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm Grant Walters. I hope you join us again soon. See you next time.